Amen. Amen. We are excited for what God is doing. Amen. Our technical team is working. There we go. Good job, Hey, Hey, Tyler's. We're right after a whole bunch of new stuff, Patty, today. This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Judges chapter 16. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. And Tyler, you're going to have to turn, bump, bump my voice up just a little bit so I don't strain it. <coughs> so this morning we're going to talk about faith, or I'm sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to continue the series, The Helper. But today we're going to talk about strength for the day of battle. That is what we're going to talk about this morning, because how many know that the Holy Spirit was in the beginning with God? The Holy Spirit was with God. And the Bible tells us in the book of in, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. And God has been acting in a triune nature since the beginning of time. God has been moving through the Son and the Spirit and the Father since the beginning of time. And now there would be some people that would disagree with me on that particular statement. There's a bunch of different theology and the different ways to look at it. But I want to look at the movement of the Holy Spirit over the next couple of weeks among people in the Old Testament. Because oftentimes we hear about what the Holy Spirit did did after the day of Pentecost and as we're coming up into the day of Pentecost. But there are things that the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament that he is still doing today. Amen. And I think we can get a clear picture, a clearer picture of the helper. If we look at it through the lens of some of these Old Testament stories. Amen. So we're going to read, I'm going to read pretty much the whole chapter. So we've got a little bit of reading but I just want to make sure that we get the idea here, starting in Judges chapter 16. And I'm going to read, start reading in verse number 4. If you could jump down to 4 for me, Tyler. This says this, reading out of the New King James Version. Afterward it happened that he, he being Samson, loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, and that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money right there, ain't it? So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, Number one, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me these lies. Now, please tell me with what you may be bound. 
And so he said to her, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and like any other man. Therefore Delilah took two ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten from the web of the loom. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. And all the men said, I mean, that he told her all his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then when Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came upon her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. Then she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. And the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. And we'll end with this verse. However, however, the hair of his head began to grow again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the story. God, we thank you for everything that you have for us. God, I pray this morning as we dive into your word, Father, that you would, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts and minds to understand what you have to say to your people this morning. God, let me be articulate, but God, let me speak directly from your heart. Spirit to spirit, I pray. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. How many know that we need strength in our day-to-day -day lives? We need strength to make it through. But oftentimes, because oftentimes in this life and with everything going on in our lives today, it seems like we can, we, we can get pretty worn down. We can get desperate. We can get tired. And when it, we seem to get worn down and tired, it's when we need God's strength the most. And 
we need the strength of God not only to for us to make it through the situation, but sometimes we even need the strength of God even in our own physical bodies. We need the Spirit of God to come inside of us in such a way that He gives us strength to run the race. There, there's a story in the New Testament of, of Philip and that the Spirit of God came upon him and he was able to run and keep up with the horses and the chariots and catch up with this Ethiopian visitor. Sometimes we need the Spirit of God to move upon us in such a way that we have strength to face the day of battle. Amen. Amen. Because if you have not learned yet, if you have not figured this out, we are in a battle today. We are in a battle with a defeated enemy, but we are still fighting. We are still enforcing the victory of Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. We are enforcing what Christ did on the cross. So as we look at the story of Samson today, give me just a little bit more volume, bud. As we look at the story of Samson today, we, we have to realize that the failure and the fall of Samson was predicated by a few events. He didn't just one day wake up and say, I, I am going to tell this woman the secret to my strength. You see, there was a process that he had to get to. So let's jump back a couple chapters and let's talk about, I'm not going to read the verses to you, but let's talk about it. And it starts in, it starts, Samson's story starts in chapter number 13 with a God-fearing mother and father. As with many of us, our, our story started with God-fearing men and women of God, that God gave them a promise. God gave them a word. And the word of God to Samson's parents was this. Your son, I'm going to raise up to be a deliverer. I'm going to raise him up to be a judge in this nation. However, there are going to be some requirements that he is going to have to follow in order to walk in the anointing that I have for him. You see, the, the anointing to be a Nazarite comes out of Numbers chapter 6. And what it means to be a Nazarite is it means to be consecrated. It means to be one set apart for a time and a season and a purpose. In Numbers chapter 6, if you would, there, it gives it in great detail the requirements of the Nazarite vow. And there are three main requirements of the Nazarite vow. The first one is that you cannot have any wine or you, you cannot even eat a grape. You cannot get anything, any portion of the wine, the vinegar, a grape. There's just, you just have to stay away from it completely. Now, in a Middle Eastern culture, do you know how hard it would be to stay away from anything made with grapes? Because it's not like our split, it's not like they had stores like we have today where you can go to Walmart and if you can't if you can't have milk you can buy lactate and if you can't have vegetable oil you can buy coconut oil and if you can't have they didn't have a lot of options so there was an element of sacrifice in the vow of the Nazarite the second thing that he had to do was that he could not handle anything dead. That means you cannot even be in the presence of a dead thing. 
So when your mother and your father died, you can't even go to the funeral. That's how serious a Nazarite vow was. And the third thing was that, grapes, the third thing was that he could not cut his hair for the length of the vow. Now, in a Middle Eastern culture, even today, long hair on men is looked down upon. And in our culture today, it, it, it's becoming fairly common for younger men and women, or for, for younger men anyways, to have long hair. But in a Middle Eastern culture, it is a sign of femininity it is, to have long hair, and it is not something that is looked favorably upon. So again, there is this element of sacrifice that is coming in with this Nazarite vow that says, I am going to be wholly consecrated unto God and I am going to be so consecrated unto God that I am even going to risk the opinions of those around me coming against me because I am going to be consecrated. Now this word consecrated, I looked it up and it literally, if you look it up in the definition, it literally means to be a Nazarite. So they go hand in hand. If I'm going to consecrate myself to the Lord, I am going to set myself wholly apart from the rest of even my brothers and sisters around me. To set yourself apart even from fellow Christians. To set yourself apart from other people in the household of faith. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the Nazarite vow. And so Samson grew, and in, in, in chapter number 13, it says that when he was young, the Spirit of God rested upon him, and the Spirit of God began to stir him. Now, the one thing that we have to make mention of in the Old Testament is that the Spirit of God rested upon one or two. It rested upon three distinct classes of people. Prophets, priests, kings. And you can ramp judges in with your prophets and priests. Because that's typically who God calls. A prophet would set as a judge or a priest would set as a judge. And so... That's how we get those three distinct categories. But we know today that the Spirit of God is for each and every one of us. Amen. Amen. It is not just for the pastor. It is not just for the leadership. It is for each and every one of us. It is not just for those over the age of 18. It is, not, it is for everybody. Because I'm telling you, if John the Baptist can give his mama the Holy Spirit when he's in utero, I don't know why our babies can't be born with the Holy Spirit. I'm just... Throwing that out there. That's not my main. I got to go anyways. I'm going to hit that run. So the story of Samson, he, he, he starts out doing well. He stands up and he starts and the spirit of the Lord, it says it stirs him in chapter number 13. And he goes and he finds a woman that he would like to wed. But it happens to not be an Israelite. He, he finds someone that is not of the same house as him, and there are specific 
guidelines that God put in place that said do not marry people outside of the nation of Israel because they will bring idolatry in. Listen to me, young people. Don't even date. Don't even think about dating people that are, do not share the same values as you because they will drag you away. You will not drag them to church. I mean, you can, but it is highly unlikely, and they will more than likely take you out of church because living in the world is a whole lot easier than living inside a church. <laughs> so you have to be careful who you link yourself up with. The Bible tells us specifically, though, that God was stirring him so that Samson might have an accusation against the Philistines. And so he marries this woman. But on the way to marry her, he encounters a lion. And the lion jumps out at him, and he rips the lion grabs it by the jaws and rips it from stem to stern. I mean, just like ripped it in half, just like you would a piece of paper, and threw it off to the side. Then sometime later, it doesn't give us a specific time, he comes in and he says, he sees the dead lion. Now, what's the second commandment of the Nazarite vow? You may not touch anything that is dead. But there was honey inside the lion. You see, in our lives today, there are very sweet things that live inside of something dead. Can you imagine that there is this carcass, this dead animal, this dead thing, but, there, but it looks good because there's honey on the inside of it, but around that honey is the maggots and the ants and all of the nastiness that comes with having something die. Yet you look at it and you see the honey on the inside, but can you really tell me that that sweetness is not tainted by what it is in? Oh, come on, church. I'm preaching better than you're helping me. I'm telling you. You see, we have to be very careful that what we allow to feed us. We have to make sure that we are not eating out of something dead. We have to make sure that we are eating the living word. We are eating out of the living thing, and we are not getting our meat. We are not, yeah, we're not getting our food from the media. We're not living off of TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Facebook, but we are actually getting in the book. We've got to realize that there are some good things out there on Facebook. There are some good things that people put up. I put out posts all the time trying to encourage people, trying to lift people up, but I am telling you, we cannot, we have to be careful that we are not getting our nourishment from something dead. We've got to make sure that we are getting our nourishment from the word. And I'm telling you, honey's good. The word of God is sweet, but we've got to make sure that we're getting it in context, not biased against somebody's opinion. We have got to make sure that we are getting it right. Yeah. We're getting it right. Because you see, it was the subtle compromise of his consecration that says it's, it'll be okay just this once. And guess what? Nothing bad happened and it tasted 
tasted fantastic. Because sin is always pleasurable for a season. I say, say it. Sin is pleasurable, but for a season. But sin, according to James chapter 1, will always produce death. Yes, it will. And so if we are standing on the fence, we are playing games, and we are looking and saying a little bit of that won't hurt me. The problem is, is that when we say a little dab won't hurt me, but a whole lot will, the little dab, a little leaven leavens the loaf, the Bible says. If you put a little bit of yeast in the bread, it doesn't take a whole lot, and all of a sudden that begins to multiply. So the minute we start saying it's okay to play over here just a little bit, it's the moment we have already committed that that thing is going to die. What God wants to do on us is going to die because we are going to be willing to give a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And we've got to be very careful. Because was the honey good? Yeah. But it's what carried it that was the problem. And then he goes and he marries this woman. And he says, and he has a feast. It says in those days that the young men, when they got married, they would have a feast. And he had a feast for seven days. And he posed the riddle to them. And the riddle was about the lion and the honey. And it says that his wife came to him the end of seven days because the Philistines were angry that he was taking what belonged to them because he basically was gambling because he said, if you can't figure this out, you're going to give me a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. Don't do that. Neither here nor there. Let's move on. Hit that and run. <clears throat> so at the end of the seventh day, he tells his wife and she tells them and just before the deadline, they come to him and he is furious that the one that was supposed to be closest to him had betrayed him. And he goes out and tells a bunch of people and gives them, gives, and, and gives them the reward. And he is angry at his wife. And so the father-in-law, thinking that he is never going to come back, gives his wife to his best friend. <laughs> Does this not sound like an episode of Days of Our Lives? <clears throat> right? I mean, I mean, this I'm telling you. And then what happens? Samson comes back to get his wife and finds out that he's with his best friend. And then he ties tail ties firebrands to the tails of foxes and lets them run all throughout the fields of the Philistines and burn up their whole crop. And so they get angry and the enemy gets angry and they come and they turn on their own and they destroy everything just because then they, they destroy the, his, his ex-wife or wife to be a how it work. And they destroy them and the family and they burned everything to death. And then Samson again just went wild on the Philistines because even when we're living in compromise, God can still use us. 
Because you see, it is, this, it is the grace of God on our lives that he allows us, that he still works with us, that he still tries to get us to come back, that tries to get us to repent. But I'm telling you, there, there's a day when it comes so far that when Samson learned that the Spirit of God had departed from him and he didn't even know it was gone. And so Samson, I believe, had got so used to God showing up even in the midst of him not living right, in the midst of him not doing everything that he was supposed to do, that he started counting on it. And so he began to play with the Spirit of God on his life. And that's where we find him in chapter number 16, that he goes in to a woman that he falls in love with that again is not of the house of Israel. And guess what? This time it doesn't say he was stirred of the Lord. It just says he saw something and he went after it because it looked good to him. And we have to be very careful of what looks good to the eye is not always good for us. What looks good to what looks good in the natural is not always good in the spiritual. So I'm telling you, we've got to start going after people, young men and women in the house. Listen to me. Go. Date somebody of good character and morals, not somebody that's good looking. And if you are, and I'm telling you, if you will follow this, God will set you up with the most beautiful woman that you have ever laid eyes on. Because if you are obedient to him, he will give you everything that your heart desires. Amen. And so I'm telling you, I'm telling you. But we want to settle for what looks good to the eye, not what looks good in the spirit. And that doesn't go just on relationships either. And I'm not just talking to the young people either when I say that. Because there are some things that we get into as adults that it looks good. It makes sense to our minds. It's not really that bad. But on the other side of it, we end up compromised. On the other side of it, we end up a thousand miles away from where we thought we were going to be. Because do you ever think, do you think that Samson ever thought he was going to lose his strength to this woman? No. The first time, it was a fun game. Samson, what's your strength? Where does your strength come from? And here's where I think Samson went wrong. I think that he thought, now this is all speculation, so you can take it for what it's worth. I think he thought it was his strength. Oh, come on. I think that he thought I can do it. And you see, that's the problem that we have with a lot of people in the church today is that they think either one, I can do it, or two, more often than not, I can't. And so we have two different types of people. We have the people, and most of the time it ends up being in all of us because we say, well, 
I can't serve in ministry because I don't have the qualifications. But I can bear this load because God's going to be happy with me that I'm just bearing and I'm just keeping and I'm just I'm going to just going to keep moving forward and I'm not going to give up and I'm just. But the problem is, is that God wants us to give it to Him so that, as my wife said, not knowing what I was going to preach, that His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So the problem is, is we've got too many people in the church today thinking that they have to be strong when God never required you to be strong. He required you to be obedient. He never required you to have the grace to do it. It says all grace comes from him. All sufficiency comes from him. All strength comes from him. So why are you trying to do it on your own? Because when we try to do it on our own, guess what we're doing? Acting in pride. Because all pride is, is saying, I know more than you. And how arrogant do we have to be to say, to think that we know more and better than God. Think about it. And so when we come in and we read things in the scripture and we go, I don't think I can do that. The problem is, is you're right. You can't do that. But Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, I can do all things through Christ that who gives me strength. I don't give him anything. I give him worship, praise, honor, and glory. And he gives me the strength to do everything that he has called me to do. How much stress would you be removed off of your life if you stop thinking, how am I going to do it? And start thinking, God, you told me to do it. Now you're going to have to show up. God, you told me to have revival. Now you're going to have to show up. God, you told us to move forward and have an intercessory prayer class. Now you're going to have to show up. God, you told us that we're going to have to you told us, you told us, you told us. Now you're going to have to show up. I'm doing my part, but I'm preparing, I'm studying, I'm getting ready. But God, you're going to have to show up. Because if you don't show up, it's going to fall apart. Because it's not in my strength. If I had to leave this church, let me say this. If I had to leave this church on my talent and my abilities and my qualifications... <laughs> Let's get out of here. Like, let's just leave. Come on. Because you don't know how much time I have to spend in prayer going, God, what do I, what do, I do? I've got this problem. We've got this issue. How are we going to deal with this? God, what, how do you want us to deal with this? What's the strategy? What's the strategy with my family? God, how do you want me to, God, how do I pray for my kids? God, how do I pray for my wife? God, how do you want me to do this thing? I'll tell you what, he's never, he has always given me the answer, and he has never once let me down. I have failed to do what he told me to do a few times, <laughs> and everybody said, bless the pastor. <laughs> but he has never failed me when I have been obedient to what he called me to do. But the problem is, is that we get so wrapped up in us we don't realize that it's all about him. 
Because the whole, the whole thing God wants me to do. What is God? What is God want me to do? What's my ministry? What's this? What's that? What? God, what, let me let me simplify this for you. Real, real easy. Do you want to know what your ministry is? To give glory unto God. So do you, how do you give glory unto God? Well, the Bible tells us that women honor your husbands. Husbands love your wives. Children, respect your parents and honor them. And guess what? That gives glory to God. How do you give glory to God? You show up to work 10 minutes early. And you be the best worker while you're there. And you don't take them for granted. And you don't take, you, you, you do what you do what is expected. And when they ask you, why are you like this? You say, because I'm serving God. How do you give glory to God? You live for him every moment and every second of every day. When you're washing your hands, when you're, into the restroom. I knew a lady one time that when she prayed, she, every time she went to the bathroom, we'd hear, she'd shut the door and we'd hear her like, what are you doing? She's like, that's about the only time I get any peace around here with my husband and my children. So, I just pray in the bathroom. Okay, whatever, whatever helps you. But you see, we have to, we have to get in the mindset of we have to glorify God in everything that we do, because everything that we do can bring glory to God, or it can bring honor to our glory to ourselves, which ultimately is giving glory to the God of this world. And so we find Samson in the lap of Delilah. And I don't know, as I was reading this, the second time she wrapped me up to try to take my power from me and said, the Philistines are here, Samson. I, I would have probably been like, one plus one does still equal two. Even if that new math, Howard. <laughs> One plus one still does equal two. They get they get to it a lot of different ways. But I'm sitting here going, hmm, maybe something's not right with this situation. Maybe something weird. I mean, it kind of maybe it gives credence to the you know big, strong, and dumb. I mean, I you know you can pick up you can pick up a city gate, but you can't figure out that the woman he's with is trying to kill him. I mean, anyways, I could go, we could go a lot of places there, and we're not. We're not, I'm being good. But she pestered him. And that's how sin will always work. It will always pester you and pester you and pester you and pester you, unless you put an end to it. Unless you put an end to it. He could have stopped after the first time. One, he should have never been in the situation to begin with. Two, he could have stopped it after the first time and said, oh yeah, I'm tying up with, tying up with fresh rope. And the first time I woke up tied up with fresh rope and Philistines around me, I probably would have been like, oh, yeah, no, I'm getting out of this situation. This is stupid. But he didn't. And so three times, he fell. Three times. And, and if you notice, each time he get closer and closer and closer. Because the third time he said, well, if you just put my hair in a weaver's beam. 
Well, that's almost the right answer. And then finally, he said, you cut off my hair. And I want you to notice the progression of this because it started as something that nobody else knew with a lion and some honey. And it progressed slowly but surely over the course of time into something that became public that everybody knew. Because they were able to look and see, isn't that Samson what happened to his hair? And that's why we have people today that are so messed up. We have pastors and leaders that they have made subtle compromises. And all of a sudden, those subtle little things become massive. Because the little thing will always lead to the big thing. As James chapter 1 tells us, that it starts as a thought. And it becomes a desire. And then it becomes sin. And when sin has grown to maturity, it always equals death. But we've got to look and we have got to see the redemptive nature of Christ and the redemptive nature of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament because it said, the last verse I read, verse number 23 of chapter 16, it says, but Samson's hair began to grow. Because in Numbers chapter 6, it says that if you voluntarily or involuntarily break the Nazarite vow, what you have to do is shave your head and offer burnt offerings. And what, in essence, I believe this is a picture of, is this is a picture of Samson allowing the enemy to destroy what God had put on him. But it is also the picture of the redemptive nature of God that says, if you will just turn back to me, I will still bring you out. If you will turn back to me, you may have blown it, you may have messed it up, you may have thrown the whole thing out of the way and out of the water. But if you turn back, I will make your latter days better than the first. If you will turn back, I will still give you the strength you need to face the battle. Because what happens at the end of the story? He is beaten. He is abused. He is blinded. If I had time, I would talk to you about him losing his vision. And when we give up our anointing and we compromise, we lose the vision of the future that God has for us. So we have got to make sure that we are living compromised. Not compromised. We have got to make sure we're living consecrated, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled lives so that we have the right vision and we have our eyes on the right things. But sometimes when we allow the enemy to come in, he will blind us to the truth 
around us. And we, before Samson ever lost his physical eyesight, he lost his spiritual eyesight. Before he ever lost his eyes, he lost the ability to see the enemy around him. And that is how he ended up in the lap of Delilah. So I'm here to ask you this morning, if you have blown it, if you have messed it up, if you have failed, or maybe you just don't even think that the Holy Spirit will give you strength to face another day. I'm here to tell you, he is here, and he will restore, and he will give back everything that the enemy has stolen from you. And the Bible tells us that in the story of Samson, that his last victory was better and bigger than everything he had done in the 20 years prior. Amen. Amen. I just thought I'd come in here and prophesy to somebody today that sure. Your future is bigger than your past. Where God is taking you is going to be bigger and better than what you have left behind. I don't care if it's been 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60 years ago. What God said he would do, he will do. All it takes is for us to return to him in faith and realize that it is not my strength that is going to get me there. It is not my ability that is going to get me there. It is not my qualifications that is going to get me there. Oh, come on, somebody. Help me preach this thing. It is not about me. It is all about him. And if I will lift up his name, if I will glorify him, if I will make every decision in the face of the Spirit of God, then he will move on my behalf. Not because I am forcing him to move, but because that's who he is. That's who he is, brother. That's who he is. He is the God that will move on your behalf. It doesn't matter how far you've messed it up. It doesn't matter how much you have wanted. It doesn't matter because God is still God and he will still give you the strength to make it through the battle you're fighting. Because the battle you're fighting is not your battle. Oh, come on, somebody. That's good preaching right there. The battle you're fighting is not your battle. The battle is not yours. Where does the battle belong? The battle belongs to the Lord. And I, oh, come on. That's And a thousand shall fall at my side. And ten thousand at my right hand. But it will not come nigh my dwelling. My battle is not my battle to fight. My battle is his battle. And I'll tell you, here's the word I heard this morning during worship. I hear the sound of the I hear the sound of the marching in the mulberry trees. I hear the sound of the Lord moving on your behalf. I hear the sound. As of a rushing mighty. I'm telling you, there is something about hearing in the spirit before you see it in the natural. And I have been hearing a shift. I have been hearing a transition. I have been hearing something that says, I am that. Oh, come on. I've been hearing 
like a shift in the spirit. Is anybody else with me? Has anybody else been feeling a shift? Saying something, something is different. Something is changing. It feels like there's chaos. It feels like, it feels like everything around me is going crazy. Because I have been talking to people in the world that do not, they're not, I don't think they're Christians. And they have been telling me that I just, the whole world feels like it's in chaos. But I am here to tell somebody the days may get darker. Time may be getting short. But there is still strength for the battle ahead. The chaos is just an indicator of the potential of what God is getting ready to do. Because I'm telling you, when the king gets ready to move and troops get ready to start and they get into battle alignment, I'm telling you, I was in the army for ten and a half years. And there is a difference in the posture and the atmosphere when when we're just laying around and we're just waiting on orders. But when those orders come, suddenly there becomes something that begins to shift in the atmosphere. Suddenly there becomes something. There is an anticipation that the troops and they start getting in battle formation and they start pulling out their M16s and making sure they're clean and they start making sure their gear's in order because all of a sudden something's getting ready to shift. Something's getting ready to move and I am here to prophesy to somebody and tell you today that the chaos is just an indicator that the breakthrough is on its way. Just keep pressing. Just keep pressing. Just keep standing. Just keep moving. Just keep realizing that the strength that you need to face the days ahead is not your strength, but it is the strength of Almighty Yahweh God. It is the God of victory. And I'm telling you, there's a song we sing, and I felt it this morning, but I didn't go there because it says he's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's not a broken man on the cross. And he didn't stay in the grave. And he's not staying in heaven forever. I am telling you, I hear the sound of the king. I hear the sound of the coming of the king. I hear a movement of the helper. I hear a movement of the sound of Almighty God that is breaking forth into the earth and I am here. I just want to stir you for a moment. This has nothing to do with my sermon. This has nothing to do. I'm just here to tell somebody. The fight you've been in is going to be worth it. The hell you have walked through is going to be worth it. The nights of staying up and worrying about what's going to happen in my body, the countless nights of worrying about how I'm going to pay and how I'm going to do, the nights of pleading with God, God, why won't you take this pain away from me? God, why are you allowing this to happen? Because I believe I'm here to tell somebody this morning that God is getting ready to move, that God is not getting ready to. God is moving on your behalf. The battle lines have been drawn and there is getting ready. God is moving. God is shaking and breakthrough is on its way. But we've got to keep pressing. We've got to keep moving. And 
we've got to get rid of the compromise. I am calling this church back to wholeness. Come on, my Lord. I, you, I'm telling you, I said it right. I am calling you to wholeness. I am calling you to be everything that God has said that you are because as you, because that's who you are. If you, I've got enough new people in here, I'm just going, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> Holiness is a secondary consequence of wholeness. You can never be holy until you realize you're already whole. Amen. Wow. Christ paid for your salvation now and in the future. Christ paid for you to be made whole. So when he says, be ye perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect, right? We all know that scripture. That word doesn't mean perfect. That word does not mean flawless. That word does not mean you've never made a mistake. You know what that word means? Whole. So it would be better translated, be ye whole. One, as my Father in heaven is one. So what does that look like? That looks like a picture of a Trinitarian theology that goes, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. Because in the book of John, it says that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. That word with is the word cross, which means face to face. Close you have to be to somebody to be face to face. And so that picture of wholeness is a picture of you being completely righteous as God is righteous. Because you cannot. I'm so far off my sermon subject, but this is this, I love all this stuff. Did you know that you can be as righteous as God is righteous? Because God is righteousness, right? That is. And if I have the righteousness of God in Christ, therefore my righteousness is the same righteousness that God has. Right? And I don't have to earn it. I don't have, you don't have to earn the strength of God. It's a gift. You don't have to earn the righteousness of God. You already are righteous. That's it. Even as you struggle. But I'll tell you what. Struggle becomes a whole lot simpler when you realize you are righteous. When you realize that there is nothing that can move me from my position. Because while Samson was under an inferior covenant, you, my friend, are under a superior covenant of grace. And when Jesus came in, he dealt with the sin, he dealt with the compromise, he dealt with every issue that you have. And I want to come against one more lie before I shut this thing down. You are exactly where you are supposed to be. 
Because the enemy will come to you and he will tell you this lie. If you wouldn't have went down that track, where could you have been? Anybody ever had that? If I wouldn't have fallen away, what could I, where could I have been? But here is my problem with that lie because I know that my God made a plan to get me back because he knew that I was going to take that dog leg. He knew that I was going to go and I was going to step out of line. And just like that sheep that left the 99, he went looking for me. And I'm here to tell somebody this morning that just because you blew it, you're right where you're supposed to be. You are right where you are supposed to be. He restored us. He restores us. He gives us back seven times. When the thief is caught, the Bible says, they must restore back seven times what they stole. Seven times the amount of peace. Seven times the prosperity. Seven times the amount of Seven times the congregation. Seven times what the enemy tried to take from me, he's going to pay me back. Why? Because, not because it's me, but because it's him. That's right. Amen. So I want you this morning, as we, as I, as I, whew, I can keep going, but shut it down. Shut it down, Sean. Shut it down. We must return to him. We must return. We must realize the grace that he has given us in this time, in this place, in this season. And we must stop playing with the Holy Spirit. We have to stop playing. Because I am fearful that there are people that are more interested in playing the game of religion than they are in celebrating the king of glory. Let's pray. These altars are open. you have restored me back more times than I could count. And so God, what you have done for me, I know that you will do for the people 
in this room and the people online. And God, I pray that we would not allow the compromise of a former season to hold us back from where you are taking us. God, I pray right now for the grace of acceleration to come into this room. And in Jesus' name, I declare over you, you have been made whole in the name of Jesus. I declare over this house that we are coming into an accelerated growth pattern in the name of Jesus. I declare over you right now that you are coming into an accelerated growth pattern both physically and spiritually. I declare over you right now that those things that have held you back are no longer going to hold you back. I declare over you right now that spiritually you are going to grow and you are going to abound and you are going to become more fruitful than you ever thought possible. You have come out of a pruning season, says the Lord. You have come out of a season of restriction. You have come out and I am moving on your behalf, says the Lord. And so, so what I need you to do is do nothing. What I need you to do is allow me to move. What I need you to do is allow me to be God, says the Lord. grace for acceleration over this house. Where we are at is not where we are stopping. Get ready, church. I'm telling you, get ready. Get ready for what God is doing. Shut off the nonsense. 